Our speaker today is Jason Pettibone, the new campus pastor of our Paramus campus. And we are so delighted to have Jason on our staff and to have welcomed him and his family, his beautiful wife, Joy, and their three sons to our church family. And uh, Jason's just doing a great job. We couldn't be any more pleased than we are with the job that Jason's doing in Paramus. And he also is leading some very significant initiatives here at TLCC, like our Connect Pastors rollout, which you heard about a few weeks ago. Uh, Jason actually has a background in business. Um, for instance, he worked for a number of years for Whole Foods where he was the person responsible to open their stores in New York City. That's an example of some of his business experience and he consulted with them after having left them. Uh, he was the vice president of an insurance company here in New Jersey. But Jason really feels a call to pastoral ministry. and. Um, and that's why he's here, is he feels a call to that, and he has now been involved in vocational ministry, pastoral ministry, for about a decade. And he brings to our team a wealth of experiences, uh, a tremendous amount of passion, as you will discover, and, uh, and his primary responsibility is to shepherd our the people who are a part of our Paramus campus. But all of you hopefully will have an opportunity to interact with him in one way or another in coming years. So uh, Jason is gonna come and continue our series about how to create an invite culture. We thought it was an important thing to take a few weeks to talk about how important it is to share the good news about Jesus with the people in our lives who need to hear that story. Everybody please give a great big welcome to Jason Pettibone. Good morning. I'm not used to being introduced. Um, and so I have one less page because I was going to talk a little bit about me. But I do think it's important for you to know a little bit about me before I get into what I want, I want to share with you this morning. If you're new to our church, uh, let me tell you a little bit about our church. We are a multi-site church, which means we have one church that meets in multi, uh, multiple locations. And so I am blessed and fortunate enough to be the pastor of our Paramus campus. And I have been on staff on Tuesday. It will be three months. I'm so excited to be able to partner here. So as, uh, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, my name, like I said, my name is Jason. I, and I want, there's a couple important things I think you should know. First, I am husband to an amazing wife. Her name is Joy. She's sitting over there. And um, I've been in church a long time. I was a pastor's kid. I've heard a lot of preachers talk about how their wives are their better half. So I know it's a cliche. So I'm not just going to say she's my better half. I'm going to tell you the truth. She's the better person. Um, Joy and I are the proud parents of three incredible boys, James, Jonah, and Jack. Yes, all five of us have names that start with J, because when I married a girl named Joy and our first one was James, once you're into it, then you got to stay there. So, we, uh, so that's where we are. For most of my life, sports have been one of the most important things to me. I'm not as passionate as I once was, but I'm still pretty passionate. I'm a passionate fan of the Boston Red Sox and the New England Patriots. 
That is the usual response. I'm also a very passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And it's my goal to make, it's my personal goal to make heaven bigger by introducing people to Jesus. And so today, as we, as we continue in our third week of our series, we're calling RSVP, um, we're talking about how, as a church, we want to create a culture of invitation. It's our goal as a church that you could feel confident that when you invite someone here, they're going to have an excellent experience. The last couple of weeks, Pastor Terry and Christian have talked about how our team is working uh, so you can have, so you can know that the experiences here are engaging and they're relevant enough for us to share with people. And I want to be, this is an aside, I want to be very clear. I am new and I'm so honored and blessed to serve along such gifted, alongside of such gifted and devoted people. Uh, we have a long history as a church of being relevant and engaging. And so I'm honored that I just get to come alongside and be part of that. I do not want anyone to think that what I'm going to share this morning is me coming up with new ideas about how we're going to improve what we're doing here. We have a great church. We're led by a great pastor who loves people, loves the lost, and so, Pastor, thank you for your years of ministry of leading us as we continue to walk into a future where we can introduce more people to Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you so much for loving us. As we spend the next few minutes focusing on how we can shine your light in the world, I pray you would reveal your love and truth to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower me in my words and that, Lord, you'd be honored by everything we say and do. Amen. Another thing about me, I love stories. Stories like this one that I recently read in the newspaper. For those of you who are under 30, a newspaper is a piece of paper <laughs> they used to bring to your house. Now it's on a screen. My grandfather died in 2006. By the time he left the Navy on November 5th, 1946, more than six years after he had enlisted, he had been, he had been awarded five medals, including the World War II Victory Medal, the American Defense Service Medal, and the Good Conduct Medal. All of these were listed on his, separation of no, uh, on his notice of separation from the Navy which my uncle found after my grandfather died. We had never heard of any of them. That's the closing paragraph to an article that was written by Barry Zverluga about his grandfather, Bill Zverluga. The article was published in the Washington Post on May 30th of this year as part of their coverage of the 75th anniversary of D-Day. It's a good story. Like I said, I love stories. I love telling them. I love reading them, listening to them. Stories grip my heart. Because I'm new to our church, I haven't had the chance with most of you to hear your story. Most of you don't know mine. I look forward to opportunities where we can share our stories with one another. You see, for me, stories are important because that's where we, uh, thing, uh, they help us convey the things that are important to us. 
This isn't new. For most of history, it's been that way. Many children, including myself, learned valuable lessons through stories like Aesop's Fables or the Golden Arch books. I learned the value of hard work and perseverance through the tortoise and the hare. I learned about the importance of honesty and the consequences of, of lying through the boy who cried wolf. I learned that self-confidence is key by, while listening to people read me the little red caboose. Stories are often the way that we learn morals and values or truths. And stories are one of the ways that people learn the truth that Jesus is real and that his love can revolutionize their life. As you can tell, probably, by the story I read, another passion of mine is US military history. And so uh, recently, because of the 75th anniversary of D-Day and because of the, the shows that have come on the History Channel at that time of year, I had been thinking about D-Day and I came across this article and my attention was immediately captured. As I read the article, I was sitting in the Paramus Public Library. Uh, I do that sometimes. I just go to Paramus and I'll sit in the hall or I'll sit in the library and try to engage as many people as I can and just get a sense of being in, in the culture and avail myself to people. But sometimes I'll just read and be in the area. And so I'm sitting in the library, I'm reading this article and tears are streaming down my face. Because as you get to know me, you'll know I cry sometimes. The genesis of the article came from a journal that someone in that family had found while cleaning out a house several years ago. The journal written by Barry's grandfather, the person who had been there on D-Day, details his involvement in and around D-Day. An involvement that until that journal had been found, his children and his grandchildren knew nothing about. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being part of something the entire world knows about? One of the most famous days in history and not telling anybody? We have the greatest story. We know the greatest story that was ever told. And this morning, I wanna to talk to you about how we can share it. This morning, I wanna look at a passage in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 26, if you have your Bible or an app, and, and I just want to give you an expectation of what we're going to do, because I want to unpack this passage. And so I'm going to read a couple portions, I'll, I'll read some scripture, and then I'll give you some practical, or I'll try to provide some practical insight into the scripture. We'll go back and forth a couple of different times as we go, so that you can understand of where we're going. But we start in Acts 20, chapter 26, we find that the Apostle Paul is on trial, in fact, he's been in jail for more than two years. He had been arrested in the city of Jerusalem. He had returned to Jerusalem from his travels because the city was going through a famine and he had collected aid from churches in other cities to bring back to Jerusalem. And so he's bringing these, uh, this aid back to Jerusalem to, to help the, the church, the Christians in Jerusalem but on his way back, he finds out that he's a wanted man in that city. In fact, he's told Paul, you shouldn't go there. You're going to get arrested when you go there. It's going to be bad. They're going to kill you. We'll take the stuff for you. And Paul says, nope, it's okay. He goes back anyway. If you want to know more of the background of this, this story and this passage, it's 
Luke gives his account of this starting in Acts chapter 21. And so you could read that. For brevity's sake, I won't read the last seven chapters of Acts this morning. We all can be thankful. Anyway, in Jerusalem, Paul uh, gets to Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. He's seen by some people in the temple who oppose him. They stir up the crowd and a riot breaks out. He's arrested. He's thrown in a Jerusalem jail, uh, but he's not safe in jail. A plot to assassinate him while he's in jail is uncovered. And so he is moved to a city called Caesarea. It's a Roman port. It's a little bit safer area. And so he's been in jail in Caesarea for two years as we start in Acts chapter 26. And so he's finally, in a, he's on trial. He's finally, he's gonna be able to share his defense. And so Acts chapter 26 is actually his defense of the trial that's happening because he was arrested. It starts, we will start this morning in verse two. You can read along with me. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all of the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. A little bit more background. This is actually Paul's third trial. His first two trials were before Roman governors. The first one was named Felix. The second one was Felix's successor, Festus. In each of those trials, Paul, when given an opportunity to defend himself, he did so by challenging the validity of, his char of the charges. Basically, what he said was, I'm not guilty of this. And then he tells him that he does believe in Jesus. I'm not guilty of this. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And so we, we come to Acts 26, Paul's on, on trial a third time, this time before King Agrippa, who is a Jewish leader. And while the charges against Paul are still unsubstantiated, he amends his defense strategy. He's keenly aware of his audience. In his first two trials, the, see, the, the reason he was very simple in his defense before Roman governors was because that's what they cared about. For a Roman governor, a riot was a very bad thing. It signified to Rome that the, the governor did not have control of his territory and would be replaced. And so when Paul is in front of a Roman governor, he has a very simple thing to say. I'm not trying to cause a riot. I don't want to cause you any trouble. That's what he's saying. This time, he's in front of a Jewish leader. And he sees an opportunity. He begins his defense by talking about his youth and he sets forth in his life story. And he, make, he begins with two points. Number one, his first beginning point, I'm Jewish and I was a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a group known for their strictness. In fact, many of the, room in, many of the people in that room who were pressing charges against them, the people who were opposed to Paul, had been friends of his earlier in his life. They could verify, if given the chance, what he was saying. He's finding common 
things with the people that he's talking to. I'm not sure if this was his idea or if he's instructed by the Holy Spirit to do this, but he's certainly being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so in the moment that Paul is on trial, he sees an opportunity. And there's two things that strike me about what we just read. And here's your first takeaway today. Conversational awareness is an opportunity, uh, can lead to opportunities to connect with people. Paul realized his his trials were opportunities to connect with Christ. Conversational awareness. If we keep our eyes open, I think we have more opportunities to talk about our faith than, or our church than we realize. Now I'm gonna ask you a question. It's a very simple question. But because we are all from New Jersey, some of you are gonna feel like you're being judged. We do that, right? We, we hear a question and we're trying to figure out why we're being asked. No judgment here. This is just a question. How many TLCC pens do you have in your house right now? No judgment. For the record, I love the pens. They're comfortable in our hands. They're consistent in the way they write. Some of you are sitting here saying, is the new guy really talking about the pens? I present to you that this isn't just a pen. It is a pen, but is it possible that it's also an opportunity? Have you ever thought about how a request for a pen could lead to a conversation about church or maybe even an invitation to church? Have you ever asked or been asked the following question? You have a pen I could borrow? Yeah, here, you could have this one. Now, the key to it is being prepared and being intentional. You see, carrying a pen isn't, isn't gonna just, it's probably isn't gonna just itself open up conversations to invite somebody to church, but if we're intentional about it, an opportunity can present itself. See, maybe the next time you see them, it could be two or three weeks later, you're, you go over to their desk or you go to their house or they just happen to have a pen and it's still this one. Hey, you still have the pen I gave you. Hey, you know what? I've got a bunch of those, but I love that, I love that pen, I love that church. We have a great time on Sunday mornings. It'd be, be all, I think you'd really enjoy it. In fact, I, I'm going Sunday. Would you, would you be willing to come? And a pen could lead to an opportunity for you to invite somebody to church. Now, I admit, that sounds idealistic. Is it really as easy as I'm making it sound? No, no it's not, not always. And especially not the first couple of times. It's like a muscle, as we exercise it, it gets stronger. And so as we we keep our eyes open to opportunities, we can see places where we can invite, using things like pen, invite somebody to church. And who knows what the Holy Spirit could do it. See, the Holy Spirit is working through us. He takes our efforts. He empowers our words, and who knows what will come out of it. The second thing that sticks out to me there in, Paul, in Paul's story is um, 
Paul sees commonalities in the people who are accusing him, and he makes an, uh, makes an attempt to make connections. Because common backgrounds lead to opportunities to connect with people. That's the second takeaway. I have a sibling, a younger brother. His name is Todd. Todd went to college in Springfield, Missouri. One year when it was time for him to return to school, my parents asked me to drive with him out there. So my brother and I drove out there. It's about a two-day drive. I'm hungry the entire time. We j- so as we're approaching, I say to Todd, okay, Todd, what's the best place to eat? We'll go there. So he recommends someplace downtown. We drive into the city, downtown, park our car, get out, walk up about a block to the restaurant, and on our way from the car to the restaurant, we pass by somebody who says hello to my brother. Hey, how you doing? My brother replies, how you doing? So I asked the only question that would make sense in that moment. Who's that? I mean, seriously, what are the odds? We drive two days out there. The moment we park, we park on the street in the middle of this city. It's a big city. And immediately we, we, we run into somebody Todd knows. I, that was peculiar to me. And Todd goes, something, said something that was even more peculiar to me. I don't know. And why are you talking to him? See, I'm, remember, I'm from New Jersey. We walk by somebody we don't know. We just put our head down. Todd goes, we do that here. Oh. In the moment, in the, in the years that Todd had lived out there, he had become ingrained in the culture and he knew something about it. He had something in common with the guy. They were both comfortable enough to say, how you doing? Paul senses an opportunity in his common background with the people who are accusing him. And he says, I have things in common with you. With my brother, it didn't make sense to me until I thought about it some more. You see, I might not be as comfortable to say hello to somebody walking down the street, or at least I wasn't at that time. But if someone's wearing a Red Sox shirt, I'm probably going to say hello. How are you doing? And conversations come out just because we have that in common. It happens all the time. Just the other day in the office, somebody brought up the Yankees. Don't even get me started. The same thing could happen around our church. If we, if we have our eyes open to opportunities that bring conversations to talk about our church, it could lead to us inviting somebody here. I want to encourage you to be ready to look for ways to connect with people through commonalities. Let's go back and read another passage from this time starting in verse 7. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled. By the way, this is Paul still giving his defense. As they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do what was impossible, I ought to do what was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And it is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the high priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, 
Uh, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul's going on in his story. He moves from the t- his youth, and he starts talking about his experiences. And we can know this about Paul. Paul was a zealot. He was a fanatic. Whatever he did, he did to the best of his abilities to the, with all of his energy. Paul was not a, that's good enough guy. When I was in school, I was not a, I sit in front of the class guy. First day of class, I was going to the back of the room to find the available desk. And I did all right in school, but if it was good enough, it was fine with me. I'm guessing Paul was a sit in the front seat of the classroom guy. And so whatever he did, he dug in. He wanted to do with everything inside of him. And so when he persecuted the church, he persecuted the church. And here, he's an open book with it. These are my experiences. I wanted you to know. I get it. Because maybe his experiences lead to another connection point. I told you my wife and I, Joy, have three boys. James, Jonah, and Jack. In 2011, we were very content with two boys. We were done. We had finished the diaper train, and we were free of it. It's like its own savings account when you don't have to buy diapers anymore. (laughs) And in 2012, Jack showed up. I don't know how it happened, just there. And so Joy and I went on the, the pro, back into the deep end and we're going through the process, but we had had two boys before, so we kind of knew what, we, what to expect. But it wasn't too long till we became very aware that parenting Jack was gonna be a little different than the experiences we had had earlier. See, by the time he was two, he didn't talk. No mama, no dada, no really even noises. Now, if I said to him, Jack, come to Dada. He would, he would come to me. He knew who I was. Jack, which, get the truck. He would pick up the truck. Like he, he, Cognitively, he could understand, but he couldn't communicate. And so I, I have no idea when, when my older two started to talk. By the time, but I know by the time they were two, they were talking. And so we started this journey of identifying what was going on. And I can tell you that the journey was both painful and inspirational. We we started to learn that we would need to parent him differently. We started to learn terms that we didn't think would be part of our vocabulary. Things like early intervention, diagnosis, spectrum, and so we had people come to our house each week a couple times and uh, a couple times a week and give him therapy. And I can remember sitting on the couch pleading with him. Jack, just say it's a truck. You know it's a truck. And so we now have things like IEPs and those kinds of things in our life. And I want to be very clear, we are incredibly blessed by Jack. This is not a complaint. It's been an experience for us. And it's opened us up to other other conversations we didn't know were possible 
or that we would have. And we've talked to people whose, whose children go through things much more difficult than our child goes through. But we've started to be able to talk about things like our, what our church has done for our son. And how our faith has been encouraged and blessed by his journey. Because our experiences give us opportunities to connect with people. Now, not, not every experience will be the same. Maybe your experiences aren't about, or your conversations that you have about your experiences aren't about special needs. Maybe they're about weekend activities or Sunday sports. And in that moment, you can have an opportunity to talk about how you create a schedule by which your kids are involved in those things, but they're also at K-Port because you've seen how much it impacts their life. And opportunities arise to talk about our church and our faith from our experiences. Or maybe, maybe you're through the kids thing. God bless you. No, I love them. Maybe your conversations are about leadership. Well, our church has a resource for that. Pastor writes a leadership blog. It's available on our website. That's an opportunity for you to have a conversation about how, uh, you see, that's there to encourage leaders. And so if leadership comes up in your conversations, there's a tool that our church has to use to encourage people to drive conversations. And who knows what the Holy Spirit could do with that conversation, eventually pointing people to Christ. There are practical ways for us to talk about our church. And these are real conversations. Paul talks to King Agrippa about the time in his life when he didn't follow Jesus. In fact, uh, he, what he's saying in the moment is, like, I get it. I get what they're saying about me. I too knew what it was like to not be a Christian. But then I had this experience. See, it's my, my opinion that the, one of the ways that God redeems our stories is when we talk about our past experiences, whatever they are, good or bad, he uses them to point other people towards Christ. And so that's what Paul's doing in, the, in this moment. As we get to verse 12, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard, uh, it is, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand to your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see about me. Our fourth takeaway today, let me get to it real quick, is that our encounter with Christ is an opportunity to connect with people. Connecting with people and getting to know them, or you and hear your stories has been one of the things I've been efforting to do as I onboard here at TLCC. One of the conversations I, I had a few weeks ago was with Linda Di Guglielmio. I'm bad at names. Linda told me about her faith journey and how she became part of TLCC. She talked about coming, how coming to Christ has filled a void in her that she hadn't been able to fill before. 
She's been baptized, she's become a member of our church, and she told me something I'd never heard before. She told me she hung her TLCC membership covenant on her, at her desk at work. It's become a conversation starter. People ask her about it, and she uses it as an opportunity to invite them to church. Linda has this life-changing experience with Jesus, and now she's found a tool that helps her talk about it to people. I love that story. It's been so encouraging to me. I never thought about using a, a, a membership covenant like that. You see, I, I love to coach people on how to use uh, things like this to invite people to church. You know what this is? This is an invitation card. We often get them on our way out of church. In fact, if we're honest, and we've been coming to church here for a while, some of us have a bunch of these sitting in our car somewhere. Because we get them, we're just not quite sure what to do with them. Again, no judgment. So this invitation card is uh, indispensable. Become a person the world wants to witness. I'd like to give you a few ideas on how you could use that this week. You'll get one on your way out today. And this is not an exhaustive list. I'm sure some of you will have more creative ideas than I have. Start with an easy one. During a conversation, you can invite somebody to church. Hey, we're doing this series over the next couple of weeks. We're gonna talk about five ways that we can be indispensable in our world. I think you'd really get a lot out of it. I'd love for you to come to church. In fact, I'll meet you at the front door so you don't have to feel awkward about walking into the building alone. But for some of us, we're not, we're not there yet. So I got another idea. Put it on your desk at work if you work in an office. Just leave it there, don't say a word. And when somebody asks you about it, that's them asking you to invite them to church. Or maybe this week somebody's gonna connect with you and say, hey, we haven't talked in a while, I'd love to grab coffee. Hey, on the back of this card is my favorite coffee place. In fact, there's a great cafe outside my church. We could go to church together and then catch up over coffee. I'd love for you to experience what we're doing at our church. It's amazing. It's really helped me. Or maybe it's a conversation that you're having uh, about parenting. You're on the playground and a parent says to you how difficult their experience has been and you could talk to them about how K-Port has impacted your family's life and how it's added value to your children and that you're sure it would add value to them. And you say, hey, this is just something I just want you to know you're invited and your family's invited. Come check us out. We'd love to experience that with you. You see, it's not about an invitation card. Some of you are going to find even more creative ways to use it than I've just presented. It's not about a membership covenant. It's about this remarkable gift that we've been given Christ's love for us, and we have the chance to share it with somebody. I found this joy that doesn't cease. You see, I found a peace that doesn't make sense in, in uncomfortable situations, in awkward situations, where there's no reason in the world for me to be calm. I have a peace that passes understanding. Doesn't that sound like something your friends and family would be interested in hearing? I wanna share how Christ's love has invaded my life. Our experiences with Christ provide opportunities to connect with people. And tools like invitation cards 
and membership covenants and pens are aids to get those things started. One more passage and then I'm done, I promise. In verse 27, Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, I love this. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replies, short time or long, I pray, that God, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today become what I am except for these chains. When we, take away number five, when we connect with people, opportunities arise to point them towards Jesus. I don't know about you, but I love Agrippa's response here. He's like, are you trying to make me a Christian? Paul's like, yes, everybody. Paul doesn't even get a chance to say, I'd like to, sh like to see, show you that this is for you too. Agrippa's already saying, are, is this for me? Are you trying to get me to believe this? We don't have to save people, Jesus does. And when we start sharing our stories, the Holy Spirit grips and captures people's hearts and conversations arise that we can use to point people towards Jesus. I don't know how many times, but this has been many, that I've talked to people who are Christians who tell me something like this. I don't know what it is, but people just tell me stuff. They, like, of all the moms at the, the playground, they tell me things about their lives that they don't tell everybody else. Or at work, at the gym, guys just confide in me. I don't know why it is. Let me be very clear why it is. Because you have something inside of you that rings that the world wants. It's Jesus' love. And when we open our eyes to those opportunities, we come empowered by the Holy Spirit and maybe, just maybe, God can work through our story. In our book that we've been reading this trimester, it's really good, I recommend it. J.D. Greer uh, quotes a church historian whose name is too difficult for me to pronounce. But this is what he says. The chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession or a major part of their occupation, but men and women who earned their livelihood in purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those whom they met in this natural fashion. Let me clarify, you know what he's saying? You're better at sharing your faith and winning people to Christ than I am. You're more effective at sharing the gospel than I am. And so we here at TLCC, we're encouraging you that the easiest way for you to do that is invite them to church. If you invite them to church, we'll provide a relevant and engaging experience that will just do it. That will show Christ's love and maybe just maybe God will work through it and win someone's heart. And so as a church, we wanna make it easier on you to capitalize on these opportunities. So we'll continue to produce things like invite cards and social media posts and leadership blogs and pens and shirts. But the success of those tools are determined by our willingness to use them as we share our stories with people. 
I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you divine insight to help you identify the opportunities to share your story as you invite someone to church. Yes, I have a pen you can have. Now, conversational awareness. Don't just start giving up pens. Come to church, come to church, here's a pen, here's a pen. People will think you're weird. But, do you have a pen I could borrow? Yeah, I do. I'd love you to have this. God, would you create an opportunity with that pen that I could share your love? Back to that article that I read in the Washington Post. When Bill Zverluga decided not to share his World War II stories of his medals with his children, apparently he wasn't alone. Supposedly, the, most of the greatest generation rarely spoke about their experiences in Europe and in Asia. The reason that article so captivated me was because my grandfather also served in World War II. Unlike the subject of the article, my grandfather was not there in, on Normandy on D-Day. He arrived, my grandfather up there, he arrived 20 days later. He, um, he, fought, he fought as a member of the 12th uh, Infantry Division. He fought under General Patton's command of the war, during the war, and he was, he was stationed in Austria for about two years after the war ended. Most of the experiences he had there, he never spoke about. As a family, we just don't, don't know much about it. From what I can gather, there's two things that we know, two stories that my grandfather told. The first one he had to tell because it helped him in conversations. See, my grandfather drove a half, truck, a half track, an armored vehicle. It was hit by a landmine and uh, the metal that hit that armor left a ringing in his ear that left him 90% deaf in his right ear and 50% deaf in his left or vice versa. I don't know exactly which one. And so my grandfather couldn't hear you when he talked, so he would consistently say, you need to speak up. So because of that, he had to tell what had happened. The other story that we know of was that my grandfather, uh, during nights, he would sit in foxholes with the bullets flying overhead, and he would pray, God, I'll make a deal with you. If you'll get me through this night, I'll serve you. And dawn would come and he'd forget about his deal and he'd move forward. The next night, God, if you'll get me through this night, I'll serve you. Dawn would come. I have no idea how many times my grandfather prayed that prayer. I have no idea what he heard in the foxholes. I know the last time he prayed that prayer. He prayed in a hospital room in Massachusetts. My dad's oldest brother was an infant and was suffering from a fever. The doctor said he, didn't, he wouldn't make it through the night. Suddenly, my grandfather wasn't concerned with making a deal about his own life. He was making a deal about his son's. And he prayed in that hospital room. God, if you'll save my son, I'll live for you. My, grandfather, my uncle lived. My grandfather served God, Jesus the rest of his life. 65 years, for 65 years he served Christ. He was a pastor. 
And, and for those 65 years, the story he felt most compelled to tell was the one that pointed people to Christ. See, my grandfather was a storyteller. He spent three years in one of the most famous historic moments of history. And he, about in, this, in the middle of this horrific war, why don't I know more stories of happening there? Why do I know more about my uncle, my grandfather's service from museums than I do from him? He must have had hundreds of stories he could have told, but most of the stories I never heard. The one story that I do know, the one story he couldn't keep inside, the one that he told as many people as he possibly could, pointed people to Jesus. His story, his story impacted my life. Whose life will be impacted by your story? I can't wait to find out.